Chatua Enthusiasts Club podcast. On this episode, Mark II versus S-Type, which is the best trap day weapon? JECpodcast.com Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Isn't it good to be back? Wayne Scott with you, of course. Thank you for joining us on what we're calling episode 74 it is in fact episode one of series three and it's good to be talking to the jaguar family around the world once again lots of great interviews to come over the forthcoming episodes as we get back in the saddle of this fantastic podcast and lots has happened while we've been away Jaguar Racing in the Formula E series had a pair of podiums in Rome. The F-Pace has received a technological makeover by JLR as we await the new models from the company in the pipeline soon. And we have launched Track Sport. Lots about that to come in this episode of the podcast. We had our first event at Mallory Park. I'll be talking to Richard West all about that in just a second. And also we talked to Tom Lenthal where we pitched his Mark II against an S-Type at Mallory Park to see what was the best track day weapon. Plus, if you go on the news pages of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club website at jc.org.uk, you can see the announcement of a brand new spares initiative, an exciting development for the club that looks to preserve the quality and availability of spares for Jaguars through our partners SNG Barrett. We'll be giving more details on that in future episodes here on the podcast. Lots of events as well to share with you as well in this centenary year, celebrating a hundred years since Sir William Lyons and his mate from round the corner in Blackpool, William Walmsley, started the Swallow Sidecar Company, the company, of course, that gave rise to Jaguar way back in 1922 they were just youngsters they had to get sir william Lyons's dad to guarantee a loan from the bank in blackpool and it all started when william wormsley was riding casually about his local streets in blackpool with a shiny sidecar that he'd built for himself and william Lyons fancied a bit of that sidecar pulled him over in the road and said i'd like to buy that off you and so began the partnership eventually of course turning into jaguar cars by the late 1930s early 1940s and so the legacy began we're celebrating that this year with a fantastic event that you simply can't miss between the 10th and 11th of september in blackpool where it all began it is the celebration of the centenary of jaguar full details on that at jc.org.uk forward slash events also of course lots to tell you about the summer jaguar festival this year happening slightly later in the summer on the 14th of august just another one day at newby hall that's near ripon in north yorkshire we have a brand new concept for you for the summer jaguar festival this year the moving motor show and i'll be telling you more about that on future episodes of the podcast as well so without further ado let's find out what's been happening in the club over the last few months while we've been away here is richard west it's been a very busy time since you and i last spoke here on the podcast richard a lot has been going on but uh First of all, we have had uh, a number of VIPs join us within all sorts of different things we've been doing within the club, and one of them being John Watson, Richard, who 
came to give a really interesting talk to the Oxfordshire region of the Jag Enthusiast Club. You were there to interview him. The video will be available soon through the JEC YouTube channel and we'll also be putting it out on this very podcast. But just give us a taster of what it was like to be reunited with old John Watson once again. It was fantastic, actually. You know, I mean, Watty is always a very dry sense of humour. And uh, we hadn't seen each other for a good number of years. And we were both that apprehensive. And, uh, you know, my hair these days is very white and swept back because I'm sort of losing a bit at the front. And uh, he was very friendly. He threw his arms around me and said, Ricardo, who's your hairdresser? <laughs> Which was a lovely way of starting the evening off. But in all seriousness, Wayne, it was it was fantastic. Steve Daniels and his guys had put together an amazing evening at Bodicott Cricket Club. We had 13 different regions attending in addition to the Oxfordshire region, packed house, in fact. And John is is a fascinating character to listen to because, you know, he's, he's in his 70s now. But, of course, not only did he, uh, you know, win the British Grand Prix for McLaren when Ron Dennis and all his gang of merry men reformed McLaren in the early 80s. Prior, uh, prior to that, of course, he had been with Lotus, he'd driven for Theodore, he'd driven for a number of teams. And in his latter career, when he left Formula One, which was of great interest on the night, he, of course, drove for Bob Tullius in Group 44 in the IMSA six-litre car at Le Mans. And he drove for TWR Silkcut Jaguar twice as well. So between us, we had an enormous amount to talk about. And as, as ever, John is very forthright. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, we had a lot of laughs. There were some great questions from the audience. And it's one of those sessions, I think, when it's on YouTube. It, it it really is two old mates, you know, who've had a great life courtesy of racing and a love of Jaguar talking about so many of those memories. I think it could have gone on till midnight had we let it, to be quite honest. Funnily enough, the other day, I had a, a rare Sunday afternoon off and I replayed your interview with Sir John Egan from last year's festival. And I mean, that's a masterpiece because Sir John, you know, is still a very erudite character. And with your urging on, that the way he explain those Jaguar years and what it took and the things behind the scenes. They're very, very important sessions and I'm glad that we're recording more of them. I know very recently you've been up at Gaydon doing some work there, uh, recording the history of the lightweight E-Type with the very men who made it happen. And it, it's, as you say, it's the reason for being part of a car club. Where else can you go for an evening out, you know, put a fiver in the kitty and some money behind the bar and a bit for charity and sit there to listening to me droning on but talking to a fascinating guy like John Watson. Absolutely. And as you mentioned there, you know, the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust, great friends and partners of us here at the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. And I've been over there recording some of the memories of the people who work for Jaguar throughout the years, really. And it's really important, especially with some of the older generations of Jaguar employees. And you mentioned the uh, E-Type lightweight team there just as one. We've also recently been talking to um, some people who worked on the, very much on the ground floor at uh, Jaguar at Browns Lane in things like the correction departments, for example. Amazing project for me because, you know, I love doing this sort of stuff and I love hearing people's stories. But the important reason for doing it is to make sure that all of these stories, these insights and memories are recorded for future generations when those people are suddenly no longer with us. And it's really important to record the history, isn't it? It is very much so. And I'm glad you mentioned Jaguar Dame Heritage Trust because over the winter, you know, we've all been extremely busy, although we've not been on the podcast. Sadly, we're back now. A lot of my time has been spent on the operational side of the business. We, you know, we 
following Ray uh, Searle's death last December, a lot of organisation, as you know, has gone on within the club and under the, you know, the continued chair of long-standing JC director and member Peter Purdom, we've been looking at the things that we can do to benefit the relationships we have with our partners. And one of those is Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust. Matthew Davis, the MD, who you and I both know extremely well. He and I have spent a lot of time together lately. And they're putting an enormous effort into working closely with us. There's a great article in Jaguar Enthusiast magazine, the April edition from Matthew, talking about what the trust is, what it does, and importantly, how it's continuing to protect Jaguar assets, IP, drawings, documents, so many things that are important to the Jaguar name. And I know you're playing a very important part in that too, and sparing your blushes here, in making sure that you do interview those key people while we still have them amongst us and access to them. But for those of you that are interested in the trust, Matthew also races himself. He's got a Jaguar that he, he uses, swallows racing and preparing and running that car for him. And he comes along to our track sport days. He also is very open to talk to Jaguar enthusiasts and anybody out there who has any knowledge or indeed, even if you've got a collection of Jaguar documents and history that you're not quite sure what to do with, talk to Matthew because you know they can go in perpetuity into the JDHT archives and form part of that fascinating body of information and continual growing of the data that reverts right back to those very early days 100 years ago right away up to the current day absolutely because as we do we talk to you in the year that marks 100 years since sir william lyons and william wormsley started the swallow sidecar company in blackpool the company that, of course, would give rise to Jaguar eventually in the late 1930s, early 1940s. So a very important year for us, but also a very important year for racing and for getting out and enjoying Jaguars. And we mentioned the JDHT there. They are a collection of heritage artefacts from Jaguar's history, but they are far from being stuck in a museum where nobody gets to enjoy them being out and about because actually the JDHT come out and enjoy our track days with us. And there are going to be even more track days this year than we've ever had before because what's changed since we were last here with the podcast is the launch of JC Tracksport. So, Richard, give us a background about how this came about and what the first couple of months have been like. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Wayne. And as you well know, I mean, you've been heavily involved in the process, really, all over those winter months we just talked about. Um, we got to the end of last year's race championship, the Saloon and GT Championship. And for me as a racer all my life, you know, still loving racing as I do and partaking anything that you know, goes quickly and a little bit sideways. It was a tough decision because there were, there were a number of people in that championship who felt that they wanted to go and race with that with a bigger package, you know, which is what they've done. They they went they they went off with a number of the competitors and formed their own thing. But really it gave us the chance to really review what we were doing because running a racing championship is a very expensive business. Several times in recent years the club had underwritten the race championship. And part of the job of the board of directors and people like myself on the operational side, and indeed with your experience, is to sit regularly as we, as we do and say, look, what are we doing for our members? What is more inclusive? And with the restrictions there are today on road use and obviously the need to drive carefully, the amount of cameras, everything else that is there, and indeed the amount of traffic on the road, 
a track experience, and I'm not talking about a racing championship, but I'm talking about the ability to take your vehicle, whatever age it is, whatever its performance capability is, to a venue such as a track or a hill climb or a sprint, or even as we did last year at Bista Heritage, just a moving display of cars, you know, at moderate speeds, is a great opportunity. And that was really what formed JEC Track Sport, because after much discussion internally, uh, and it wasn't an easy decision, we decided that rather than run a racing championship for a select group of individuals, we would be better off to use James Blackwell, our general manager's words, of looking for a more inclusive way of offering benefits to the membership overall. And that indeed we've done. We've just had our first very successful day at Mallory Park. We were oversubscribed. We had over 70 cars there. But JDHT, going back to your earlier comments, they, they have so many wonderful cars from the history of Jaguar right the way through from one of the Swallow sidecars up until things like the XF Ring Taxi which is a car that was specifically built to take four passengers at very high speed around the old Nürburgring circuit which it's done in less than eight and a half minutes which with four people in a car I've got to say it's pretty impressive and I'm not brave enough to have done it but people have done it in that vehicle. JDHT are going to be bringing out many of their running cars and um, we had a great selection of their cars at Mallory Park. We also, interestingly, and, and I, I really credit Matthew Davis for this, JDHT, like the JEC, relies very heavily on a number of experienced volunteers from all walks of life. And Matthew brought along half a dozen cars to Mallory Park, and he gave the opportunity to some of those volunteers to passenger and indeed drive and spend some time on track. And as I say, I hasten to add, it, it's not a racing environment. What it is, we have Ray Ingman, for example, who is a qualified race licensed instructor. If you've never done a track day before, you can come along, plug into Ray. He will take you out. We do sighting laps where we do slow laps of the circuit so that anybody who's out on track in the various sessions that we run gets to see the layout of the circuit, understands the corners. And as I say, if you've not been before, Ray, Ray Ingman will sit with you he will drive a couple of laps and show you where the ideal lines are and the turning points. He'll show you where you can take, where you can't overtake, and generally build up your confidence to the point when then when your number's called, you go out on track, you have a number of laps, or you have a 15, 20-minute, 30-minute session, depending on what you've booked for, and you're able to just go out there in safe conditions with other like-minded individuals, and be warned that it's very addictive. Well, that kind of thrill of being in the car with a proper racing driver is something that visitors to track sport can experience themselves with not just Tom Robinson from Swallows Racing, because uh, he's been out doing passenger rides with us before on our track days with the JEC, but there's Tom, there's his brother, and there's a whole other set of drivers that Swallows Racing are all looking after this season, isn't there? Yeah, there is indeed. And in fact, even Matthew Davis of the JDHT is racing in the championship this year. And uh, he puts his passenger seat available for people who want to go for a ride as well. But I think, you know, looking at what Swallows offer, they have such a fantastic range of cars. They've got a two-seater open cockpit car. They've got Tom's physical race car in which he's dominating uh, the races already this year. And on top of that, they have ex-Palmer Sport cars and a range of others. And as you rightfully say, Wayne, it's actually two things when you go with a top driver. Firstly, it makes you realise just the separation between your own skills and those of a professional driver. And secondly, what it does do is once you settle down and relax, you start to pick up tips along the way. And this was part of the reason we joined forces with Swallows Racing as part of the track sport programme, because quite simply, they bring so much of that experience to us. And they've got, as you rightfully say, a range of very talented drivers 
spread across you know quite an age group where as you come along to the event with your own car it's very wise if you've not done an event before firstly to talk to ray engman our arts instructor and he'll take you out and secondly then of course if you'd like to put your name down and get in with one of the race drivers and they do they do a really good job they will talk you around the circuit they'll even go with you in, in, in your own car they'll show you where the racing lines are they'll show you where the braking points are the entry the apex and the exits on the corners and it makes a hell of a difference to have somebody like that with you it's really exciting as well to see what a Jaguar is capable of. And most of the Swallows racing cars were once road cars that they've transformed with their race tuning prowess into these race winning monsters. And we get to experience that. And they've built themselves quite a reputation now, Swallows, haven't they, for producing these winning cars and actually mentoring and bringing along the drivers with them as well. They have. I mean, it started out as Tom writes regularly in the magazine in Jaguar Enthusiast. You know, for him, it started as he was going to build himself a track day car. And of course, he, he's developed into a serious contender and, and indeed a race winner and champion. But I think the important thing, you, you make the point about, you know, they, they're based on road Jaguars and they build them into race cars. The really impressive thing is to get one of those drivers to sit alongside you or drive your own car and let you really see what it's capable of. Because very few of us, dare I say, have ever really explored the full capabilities of a car, certainly not on the public highway. And it's when you get a professional driver in the car with you, they will show you a series of things that you can do, how to correct, you know, oversteer, understeer, how to regulate your braking, all sorts of things that you maybe have never experienced. And uh, then, of course, strap yourself into the passenger seat of the real McCoy with 700 horsepower, uh, weighing 1,400 kilograms, and then you really find out what a Jaguar is capable of. Absolutely. Well, we'll be catching up with Tom later on this podcast to find out what he's been doing on the racetrack uh, within the championships that Swallows are involved in. And they've had a successful start to the season at Silverstone, and it's just got better on from there. So we'll hear more about that from Tom uh, later on on this episode. But uh, it's really great to have Swallows on board. And not only are they showing off their cars that they race, but they're also giving a lot of support to track sport regulars on how best to prepare their own cars for track days, aren't they? They are. They're developing a range of strategic partnerships. Tom, uh, in one of the issues, talks about the relationship with AVO, the suspension company. And what they're doing is, apart from their own developed parts, which they develop through the race programme, the age-old adage of, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, they're working now with a number of top-rate suppliers and developing their own parts. They've got a stainless steel division now where they're producing exhaust systems. And in fact, when they come to either track sport events or the race events that you refer to, where they take place over several championships and highlight events throughout the year, and indeed our own summer festival, they bring along their display. And increasingly that display is featuring suspension, brakes, exhaust, performance, electronics components, all things that can be added into road cars. And it's that continual racing development that's allowing the Matt Swallows to really start to produce a fantastic range of performance parts. I mean, this has to be a, a world first for car club track days because traditionally they are turn up with your car, thrash it around the track, go home smiling a lot and with aching cheeks. But this time, not only do you get to experience, as we've already described, all of the Jaguar Daimler heritage cars out, bits of heritage and history on the track that we get to see moving. We get to drive our own cars. And as we explained earlier, we learn the skills from Ray Ingman on how to drive them in the best way possible. Swallows are there helping us 
must prepare those cars and give some technical advice but also it has to be a world first in that you actually don't need a car to come and experience track sport you can turn up leave yours in the car park and come as a passenger or a spectator and not only is there lots for you to watch see and do during the day but actually you can get in the passenger seat of some of these cars and go and have a thrill yourself without the need to take your own car out on track it that's that's unique isn't it i think yes i think it is Wayne. you're right and additionally we're working way behind the scenes we're spending a lot of time both the swallows and um jaguar daimler heritage trust developing the ways in which we can add things all of the time we we've had a meeting recently about about how we start to group together uh, a range of historic heritage and performance cars as well as the Swallows cars in one main corralled area. So people have a great opportunity to really spend some time uh, and look at things such as Andrew Maynard's extra R15, Tom's range of cars, the diesel car that came to Mallory Park, which was a fantastic car from Jaguar, which uh, went there for the endurance race many moons ago. There's so much of that stuff that you can actually experience, and it's our intention to work very hard. Colin Porter is putting an enormous amount of effort in as our coordinator of Tracksport to look at how we enhance the package as we move forward. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great concept. It's working well, and uh, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to make it better for our members. Do you know, I post a bit on social media after events like this and people often ask me, how is it, Wayne, that you get to go and do all this cool stuff? How is it that you see all of these things and experience all these things? How can I get to do that sort of stuff? Well, it's really easy. The answer is you join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club and you get stuck in. And the point is, all of this is available to our club members and so often they get asked what's the point of a club why would i join well it's because you get to experience things like this we do indeed wayne and i think the 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 real message on this one as you said earlier you don't even have to put your own car out on track what i would recommend is if you've got a group of mates boys and girls who really fancy a look at what track experiences are four of you get together get in your car come down you know as a group book a lunch somewhere in a nice local pub, but come to the circuit first thing in the morning. You, I, many others, JC, Peter Purdom, our chairman, is there on occasions. And come and meet us, come and talk, you know, have an experience in one of these cars that we've been talking about. And who knows, you might find yourself parting with a few quid and becoming a member of the JC, which is one of the best things you can possibly do. Well, there is a whole range of different circuits and venues as part of the track sport programme. The next one is very different to Mallory Park and very much more picturesque, actually, as well. We're off to Harewood Hill Climb in North Yorkshire, one of the most stunning locations in the country. It's the longest hill climb in the UK as well. And if you're not into your racing, if you don't want to go out on the track, that's fine. Just sit back with your picnic. We've got food on board. Uh, Enjoy the scenery. It is wonderful. It sits right at the top of Wharfdale, just near Harrogate. And uh, you can find all the details of that. It happens on Sunday, the 26th of June, on the website at jc.org.uk. Just click on events. That's the next track sport fixture at Harewood Hill Climb in Yorkshire. That's going to be a fantastic day out. Coming next, I'll be talking at track sport about what the difference is between a Mark II and an S-Type on track. It's all next on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. What events you can get along to or to discover local club meets in your region. Visit jec.org.uk Well, here on the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast, uh, you find me by a lake 
in the middle of Leicestershire with a race circuit round it. It is the legendary race circuit that is Mallory Park. And we've had track time all day today, various Jaguars of all different eras, shapes and sizes going around the track and people enjoying often their first track day here with the JEC. Of course, the first fixture of the brand new JEC track sport series of events that are running throughout 2022. And I've come across two really special cars in the paddock here and two cars that represent a really iconic part of Jaguar's history. I have in front of me a racing Mark II and a racing track day prepared Jaguar S-Type, both from the late 50s, early 60s era of Jaguar. So let's find out more about the cars and the people who own them. Firstly, uh, introduce yourself to everyone listening. Yes, good afternoon. My name is Roger Cope. Roger, you're driving the S-Type today. Uh, yes, I, I did start off with a Mark II, just like Tom, but thanks to Tom, and uh, I will uh, reluctantly say his excellent business, um, he built the uh, S-Type for me. as uh, just an alternative as a change of, of uh, plan. It's worked out extremely well. Um, it's a fabulous car for its age. It's still very competitive, has a good turn of speed and um, it provides an awful lot of fun which we've had today rain and uh, uh, shine so um, no it's uh, all in all it's it's worked out really well well of course launched in 1959 the Jaguar Mark II was the follow-on from the Mark I that had been so successful in the very early days of touring car racing with the likes of Sterling Moss and Roy Salvadori at the wheel these cars were actually sold at the same time concurrently the S-Type lasted a little bit longer it was launched in 1963 ran through till 1968 with the Mark II ending in 1967 so Really, the S-Type, Roger, was an opportunity to own a, a Jaguar that was slightly more developed than the compact saloon of the Mark II, but without the expense and the size of owning something like a Mark X, wasn't it? Oh, very much so. I mean, obviously, the S-Type is a lot lighter uh, than the Mark X. It is slightly heavier than the Mark II, but it has got the advantage of the um, E-Type rear independent suspension. And obviously it's got the uh, rear disc brakes and as well as um, front discs uh, and especially when fitted with radial tyres, um, it handles extremely well for its, for its ear. And this is the thing, it's often referred to as the sort of ugly duckling compared to the Mark II and values aren't anywhere near Mark II prices either, but actually it is a superior development to the Mark II in terms of handling, isn't it? Do you feel that out on the track as well? Um, certainly with the radial tyres, yeah, it's, it handles extremely well. It is slightly longer than Mark II, obviously, because it's got a bigger boot area to accommodate the independent suspension. Um, but, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's a good car to drive. Um, it's proved really reliable, actually, to, um, amazingly, the, for its time. And uh, it still gives you a good turn of speed compared to some of the modern equipment out there. So. Well, that was what was going to be my next question, because here we are at Mallory Park. Most of the stuff out on the track uh, today is pretty modern. It's F-types, a lot of XKs, uh, some X300s, XJ6s and XJSs have been out on track. But this is probably one of the oldest cars here. But how does it equip itself against all of those more modern Jaguars on a track day like today? Well, I mean, being, what, 60 years old? Um, I think we've uh, given a few people a bit of surprise this time. We, we behaved ourselves and not overtake them in the corners and frighten them too much, but it's certainly got a real good turn of speed down the straight. 
and uh, for an old car it's um, really good fun excellent to drive uh, thanks to Tom and his, his team that have done a really good job of preparing it and uh, I think it will continue for many years to come and it's drop dead gorgeous we have to say that well uh, that's kind of you to say so yeah I mean it's 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 very similar to the Mark II it's just it was subtly changed with a few modern improvements and the it eventually became, I think, the, the 420 with the 4.2 engine. But this has got the same um, engine and gearbox as the Mark II, the 3.8. And uh, to give me a little bit more oomph, we run it on triple Webers, and, uh, which has uh, um, been you know, well set up by Tom and his team. And um, it continues to you know, show a good uh, heel to most of them. I love to see it because usually you... You would put an S-Type, really, as a Sunday afternoon car. They usually have a picnic hamper in the back, let's very be honest, so, yeah. and uh, very highly polished. But this one, definitely a purposeful-looking track day weapon. If someone has got an S-Type from the 60s and they might have an inkling about doing this with their own car, what are the sort of basics they should think about modifying it to? Well, I mean, uh, one thing we did find that with all these that um, take the benefit of the independent suspension... We stiffen it up a lot more um, with the actual body shell because they do tend to twist a little bit. And so a good roll cage overcame that problem. Um, uh, we did spend a bit of time, we upgraded the brakes because obviously they, they were, it was the early days with disc brakes. And um, for track use, uh, we stiffen up the suspension because otherwise it's designed as a much more comfortable road car. But with stiffer springs and better damping, that's overcome that very well. And I understand this car might be for sale at some point in the future. Well, it's, um, you know, uh, I hate it to admit it, but yes, um, being a more of a senior gentleman now, um, I've had some very, very good seasons racing uh, with the cars, and I think the time has come that uh, it might benefit a younger driver to get the, a lot of fun out of it, because I most certainly have. Well, Roger, I've uh, paced it out. It does fit in the garage at home, well, so there you go. I just need to go and uh, raid the piggy bank, probably. Yeah, well, yeah, very good suggestion. It would be money well spent, I might say. And <laughs> the good thing is that, that you've got people like Tom around with his team that are more than uh, capable of looking after it and keeping it going for many years to come, I think. Well, also join us in the trailer is Tom, and Tom, let's uh, have a chat about these two cars. Uh, Tell us about the Mark II then. Um, a great car to race. Of course, it has such a pedigree of race in itself, doesn't it? Describe the feeling of taking that car around Mallory Park today, because it's been quite wet. So, has it been hairy? Uh, no, not. If you're experienced and you understand the variable driving conditions, it's actually not too bad. But you know, like anything, it can catch you out. You you, you do need to approach it with caution. Um, so yeah, I'd much rather it be raining all day or dry all day, given the choice. Um, so yeah, and, and, and also you, at some points we're coming round and we've got a dry line, then it's going to wet, and you know it's probably more modern cars would cope with that scenario better. Um, you definitely need to be a bit careful with the Mark Twos and the S types, particularly with the type of tyres that we're running and stuff like that. It's uh, yeah, caution is required. And a totally different driving style to some of the more modern Jaguars as well. It's all driven on the accelerator with plenty of drift as well, isn't there? Yep, no, definitely when we're going up into the hairpin, you know, it's very tight up through there. So we end up in a situation where we get um, massive understeer corrected with oversteer. That. Oh, yeah, you're right foot. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely uh, more sideways action with these cars than we would with modern cars. You know, the grip levels aren't as much. And uh, I think that's what makes them so special to drive. 
You know. Do you get a real sense of the sort of heroics of the drivers that would have driven these round circuits like the TT and Dundrod and Silverstone in the early days? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've been lucky enough to race these with the old cross-ply Dunlops on. And, you know, that's more like a, sometimes it's more like a drifting competition than, uh, you know, than a race. Um, and compared to driving a modern race car, it's just, oh, it's just the grin factor is just yeah, amazing. I really, I love driving these old cars on the old tyres. It's just so much fun. Quite challenging conditions out there. Mallory Park in the wet is not for the faint-hearted, is it? No, definitely not. Particularly when you're coming out of Gerrard's, it's quite quick and it's bumpy and it can send you in some funny directions. And uh, yeah, so you do need to be very aware of that. Um, but of course, you know, at the beginning of the day, we do the sighting laps to get everyone in and get them settled and comfortable. And I'm, I'm really impressed with the amount of new drivers and new people to track day that we've um, seen today. Really encouraging. And a lot of younger faces here as well. Yeah, it's good to see the younger drivers out as well. Um, it's not just for um, you know the older generation. You know, they, you, you can get out there in your newer Jaguar and uh, and enjoy it just as much as uh, much as the rest of us. So, Tom, uh, before I let you go back out on track. Which one for you, the Mark II or the S-Type from the 1960s? Oh, the Mark II for me every time, definitely. I've, I'm very lucky that that particular Mark II there I've worked on since I was a 16-year-old apprentice and I've known it for 32 years now and to have the privilege of going out and driving it and racing it. I've been, I've been lucky, I've actually raced both cars and I've, uh, you know, I'm, I've actually crashed both cars as well. So. <laughs> Well, we won't be doing any of that no, no, today, no, 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 so... Not today. Not, not a track day, no, definitely not. But, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely the Mark II. The Mark II for me. So, the Mark II is on the left. That's what Tom's going to take away. The S-Type is on the right. That's what I'm going to take away. I'll see you on the apex at Gerard's Bend. Tom, Roger, thanks very much. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Well, now we have Tom Robinson joining us on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Lots to catch up with from Swallows Racing and from Tom himself. There's been all sorts of activity going on since you were last with us here on the podcast. So here to tell us all is Tom. Uh, hiya, Tom. It's been busy times, hasn't it? Hi, Wayne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely has, Wayne. It's um, it's flew by. And if you remember half of it, I can't believe we're already partway through the season already. It's, it's flying. Incredible. Well, it was the end of the last season since we last heard from you here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. We've been away for a little while, having a rest and getting some other content together as we head into the post-COVID world. So I guess you spent the closed season getting, well, not only your car ready, but all the others, because during the winter, you seem to have formed a massive team. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Um, as always, Wayne, with the winter, people think you have a bit of time to, to switch off. But as you all know, with, with motorsport, it's the opposite. Everyone's in full swing trying to prepare for the following year. So um, we obviously had absolutely great results in my car last year, and we ended up winning the class overall. We missed out narrowly on the overall championship, which was a bit of a gutter. So obviously, from from my perspective, the challenge is to see what we can do to the car to, to improve for this year. But as you said, we've also got quite a few new members to join the team. So... First on the list is is my younger brother Jack. Um, he's finally taken the plunge and and, and got out onto onto track in the so world's sexiest a... XJ40, might I add, just to interrupt. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and you're a bit of a fan of the XJ40, Wayne. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a class A car. 
Um, so it's been a completely different class to myself. But obviously with the later XJ40s, they're a very similar um, floor plan set up to the X300 that I compete in. So it seemed the perfect choice for Jack to, to race because we can use a lot of development and suspension items that we use on my car within his. So um, the car is actually quite far ahead of where mine was when I first started, if that makes sense. Although it's a, a stock power Class A car, um, chassis-wise, it, it's very good and very advanced because we, we've already been there and done that with most of it with my car. Now, we've also got quite a few other members joining the team. Matthew's um, doing another season in, in the XJR6. Um, from Jaguar Daimler Heritage, so he's back out for a full season. Um, actually, also a good friend of his, a, guy, a gentleman called Damien Gray, he's taken a plunge. Um, he used to race motorsport previously um, and has been out of it for a few years, so he's not a complete novice, um, but he has got to redo his licence, etc. So he's coming on board with the team, and he is in another XJ Forties as well. So this is actually a previous car that was raced within a championship. You've probably seen it. It's the, the old F1 livery, the Bex car, looks absolutely stunning out on track so that's in class b um we've carried out a few little improvements to that over the winter um mainly just basic recommissioning really um the car was sort of used hard and fast and raced for a long time um so we've just gone back to basics with it and, and rebuilt the car really but um it looks visually the same um but we've done some improvements with some of the wiring electronics in the car so He's going to spend this year sort of getting back into it and then we're going to come up with a different plan over the winter to refresh it for the following, um, slightly different engine, etc. Um, and we've also got a gentleman called Steve Dow um, who's come on board as well. Now, he's in something really exciting. He's in an XKR, which is one of the first ones that's actually been put out on track. So Steve's a guy um, that does a lot of work with us. He's actually got a tuning company based near us with a dyno. And um, as I've talked about on the podcast, we spend a lot of time down with him on the dyno developing products. So... Um, we managed to persuade him to uh, to come out with the Jags. Um, he was looking originally at racing a Ford, um, and he's come out with a V8 XKR. So that's something really new for us, for us, and that's in Class D with me. So this is the first season these have been able to be competed with. So it's going to be. He is an obvious driver. It's it's obviously a brand new car, so we're going to have to spend a bit of time this season developing that. So I'm really excited to see what how that goes. It's a great team you've got together there, and in order to take that great team around the UK, you've also invested in a whacking great lorry as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the downside to Jaguars. Actually, is <laughs> they are rather big, so um, we have to get um, a, a twin deck trailer. Um, and we have to convert it to, to be able to carry the four cars to track. Um, some of the other cars are trailered still. We can't quite get one big enough to get all of them in there, but we get the bulk of them in in one hit with all the kit and all the awnings. So um, that was a lot of work over the winter getting that ready in time. And as always, it was uh, it was ready about two hours before we left for the first event of Silverstone. <laughs> Let's talk about that first event, because as Richard has already explained, we've launched the Track Sport initiative within the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, and there were a number of launch events, one that you hosted at Swallows Racing yourself at your premises down there in Somerset. But it was back to the yeah. racing for you, first of all, and straight out the blocks to start the season, you had a phenomenal weekend at Silverstone, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was um like like I said, we didn't have any time to test or anything. It was straight out of Silverstone, um, straight into into Quali. Um we had done a fair bit of work to the cars over, over the winter, as I said, and um yeah, we managed to, to qualify on pole straight off, um, which was a brilliant start to the weekend and um we managed to, to also um win both of the races, which um I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised myself. It was uh 
it was absolutely brilliant. It was kind of one of those weekends where just everything come together. It, it just the car was was completely different to drive, but it did absolutely everything I wanted it to, and it it felt very easy to drive, which is kind of unusual for the for the XJR. It normally challenges me. And of course, Matthew Davis had a good outing. At this time, he didn't catch fire. I understand. No, that's it. It was as <laughs> you can all probably remember. I think anyone forgot on that dreaded first race for him. Um, so yeah, I think he was just glad to, to tick the finish box after the first round at Silverstone. But the car was faultless, and he's come on leaps and bound himself as a driver. We spent a lot of time over the winter with Matthew doing wet, windy track days um, over the winter just to try and get him more seat time. Because as you can remember, when he spent most of the time actually in in what is now Jack's XJ40 when we first purchased that car, because we were obviously rebuilding his from the fire. So. He went from a, a supercharged XJR6 to then a, a standard Class A car, and all of a sudden, at the end, near the end of the year, he jumped back into a supercharged car. And obviously, there's a, a massive difference in power, so it's quite hard to get used to that on a short distance. And it was obviously his first first season as well. So the key thing for him over the winter was to try and get as much seat time as possible in the car and get comfortable. And uh, yeah, he came on absolute leaps and bounds over the winter and he found lots of time in the car. So it was good to get a, get a finish under his belt and he had a really good result. And the word up and down the paddock was that there were some severe late nights in getting the XKR ready for Silverstone as well. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, Steve's a, a great friend of mine. We, we spend lots of time developing these cars and, and he didn't just, just build an XK8 or an XKR. He went back to complete shell full respray and he wanted to do everything himself um so we we assisted with with a lot of the parts and a lot of the the products that we'd already developed such as like the the gearbox conversions the the dampers the brakes etc but is what steve wanted to do is to go completely back to a shell even welded and fabricated the whole roll cage himself so it was complete stripped down to shell all of the the roll cage fabricated and welded and this was all done over winter which I mean, you've got to take my hat off to him. It's an absolutely massive achievement. And the last two weeks, I, I don't. I think he was working on that car for sort of 20 hours a day. It was absolutely crazy. Um, the first day before we were at Silverstone, um, we just had to, to set the car up this end and do some geometry and a couple of couple of exhaust tweaks. And uh, I, I think I see 4 a.m. before he actually left, got home, and then obviously had to unload it, tune it on the dyno to reload to go to Silverstone. So. How he made it there with the, with a the lack of sleep, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, Steve did have a, a bit of a gutter for the the first race, or he didn't actually um, qualify. Unfortunately, just um, the, we had a complete total engine failure, which we haven't really got to the bottom of, to be honest. Um, that's all now been fixed since then. But it was uh, he had a um, the, the car cut out. Um, it was a safety parameter on the car cut out, and it was um, actual. Um, unfortunately, failed completely. Um, it was as if it had major oil surge, but there was nothing found afterwards. So um, it was unfortunately a second-hand engine, and we just think we got unlucky with it. Well, we'll track progress on that car as it goes through the season. Of course, the first season is often a tricky one, especially when you've just built a new car. So we'll uh, look to see how it gets on in the other rounds, because following Silverstone and all of the spraying of champagne and the carrying home of the silverware that you had to deal with, uh, you went on to Brands Hatch, didn't you? As I've probably mentioned before, isn't really a circuit that that suits our car it's it's very tight it's on the indie circuit so it's it's quite a short lap it's under a minute round there so that always kind of sways in the favor of the xjs's and both james ram and colin philpot who my kind of direct competitors are in class 
Um, that's the home circuit. So as everyone knows, you always find time at your home circuit. So it was kind of one that I was a little bit worried about. Um, but I knew we'd made massive improvements over the winter on the car with the braking system. Um, so I was hoping that would kind of give us a bit of an edge there. But yeah, it was, I didn't manage the, the top spot for qualifying, but it was very close. I was second in quality, um, which was very closely matched with Colin Philpot and, uh, he actually did a, an absolute blistering time in qualifying. I think it's one of the quickest times that someone set um, a brand. It was in the 54s. Um, normally, we were in the sort of low 55s around there. So that that was a first. We I couldn't quite get there with my car, but um, in race one, I had a, an absolute terrible start, to be honest. I, I can't even uh, come up with any excuses, Wayne. It just was a misjudge of the lights. And uh, I think I dropped back to about 11th, but everything come together after that. And I managed to work my way back up to the front and managed to... To, to get the outright win by the end of it, which I was absolutely over the moon with. It felt like a, a massive achievement being brand, not not a favourite of mine and not necessarily suited to the car. And we also managed to repeat the process, but I got a good start in race two and, and managed the overall win there. But, um, it wasn't given easily by Mr. Um, Mr. Ram. He put up a good fight the whole way through, um, especially in race one. We had, a, unfortunately, a little bit of panel damage in race one, sort of misjudged uh, breaking point there and, and just clipped the rear of him we've got to get that repaired for the next round but it's it was only small panel damage in the scale of what can happen with these big cars and how are you finding the other traffic on circuit with the new races this year because it's not just jaguars out there anymore is it no that's it i mean uh, we're with the classic touring car we were with them before um and it's a slightly different arrangement we've actually been with a different grid for each time i think the the end plan is that we go back to our grid um our own grid but it's all about the numbers games at the moment so for Silverstone, we were with um, the pre-90 touring car. And I'll be honest with you, Wayne, that, that was really good fun because they had like the E36 BMWs um, and they were very evenly matched to what we were pace-wise. So I actually had a really good fun race with that. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get the best of the BMWs. It seems like they, they're a lot better on their tyres than we are in the heavier cars. So for five or six laps, I had a good battle. And after that, I couldn't really live with them because of the tyres. But... Um, Brands was a little bit more awkward because we were with the the O3 touring car and that's got the likes of the, the Honda Civics and, and all that kind of stuff and they're really light front wheel drive stuff so they're just a completely different driving style so you can get a good fun race but at Brands it, it didn't seem to work with, with the 2003 cars because they were just so different in the way they cornered we had a lot more straight line speed so you've really got to be on your toes in those kind of circumstances especially the first few laps when everyone's grouped together um but i i did actually have a good good race um and clean race with the other cars but it was it was very tight it keeps you on your toes for sure well of course early april saw us go to mallory park for the first track day in the jc track sport series and richard and i have spoken about that at length already on this episode but it was a great opportunity to get the track sport name out there and to give the cars an airing but more than anything for you to get involved with the club members and help them out with the track and i know that you gave a number of um, passenger rides amongst the swallows team that were assembled there i don't think your brother jack ever came off the circuit uh, throughout <laughs> the day at mallory park i think he wore his xj40 out the matter last he did around there but um yeah no exactly as you said wayne it was great to to, to be there and and to not only just offer the passenger rides it's giving the, the small technical advice like checking the tire pressures and and just encouraging people that are, have never been out on track um 
getting them out on track for the first time because uh, as you know it's quite daunting there's lots of going on at a track so just having that bit of extra comfort with someone there to give you a couple of tips i think helps massively um and these cars or a lot of the jaguars are very well suited to track use some of these f types and stuff and um you can't use the full performance for them on the road so it's the perfect event to do that and it's great for you as Swallows Racing to really show off what you can do, not just with race cars, but with preparing road cars for getting the best out of them on track as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the racing ultimately is what we use to, to develop um, uh, road-going performance products. So we, we test it in the, in the strictest environment and, and find the limitations of it, and then we'll, we'll come up with a package that is more suited for a road car. So... Um, we absolutely love the racing side, but we still, the bulk of what we do here is, is the everyday road car and we offer direct replacements um, for completely standard replacement parts. So, for example, um, with the dampers that we do with Avo and the brakes we do with Tarox, we don't only do the, the full motorsport applications that we use and race. We also do a direct replacement to, say, your XKR100 damper that's, that's 300 plus pounds from Jaguar for standard replacement, whereas we'll actually be able to offer a slightly performance-based product with some adjustment and serviceability um, for actually less price than the, the genuine Jaguar items. And, and that's what we do, developing that on the track to be able to offer a great product for the road. Well, from a track sport point of view, it's great to have you on board, great to have your advice, and also great to have those passenger seats available as well. Our next fixture, as we mentioned earlier, is Harewood Hill Climb, and a different set of disciplines required for this, but quite nice because it's really good for beginners. You're on the track, or should I say the course, by yourself, and that just gives the beginners a little bit more comfort, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. Sometimes when you've got the pressure of or 15, 20 cars around you, it, it can put people off. Um, I mean, the track sport events um, that are organised, um, they're organised in a way where there's novice sessions um, to try and help with that. But you're absolutely bang on, Wayne. With, with a, um, a hill climb, you're out there on your own, um, so you can go experience the limitations of the car um, without anyone else around you. And I'll try not to break my car this year at Harewood. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to mention that or keep it quiet. <laughs> it's all part of testing. As you well know, Tom, you've got to break <laughs> yeah. it to fix it. <laughs> That's my excuse. Absolutely. You've, come, you've come up with some upgrades since then, I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, big metal ones. So uh, in terms of racing then, uh, Anglesey this weekend. Now, you're not out this weekend, but Matthew is. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So one of the other benefits with this year is because of the change in the, the way the championship is, none of the race series clash with each other, which is unusual. So um, we can actually do the CTRC events or we can do the CSC events. Um, so um, the C, the Classic Sports Car Club run the racing slightly different. So they do a 40-minute race. Um, so what you can do is you can do it with a, with a, a dual driver. So you can have two drivers. So um, Matthew, obviously, Anglesey, he actually lives there. He's got a place there. Um, and it's an absolutely amazing circuit. So he's decided to share his XJR with Damien. Um, so the, the guys have taken the car up there today and they're staying with Matthew. I think they're going to have a, a bit of a barbecue and a social at his place. And then they've got two 40-minute races over the weekend and they're going to have 20-minute stints each. Um, so it, it's actually uh, going to be a really good layout. And I think they're going to have great fun because they're, they're putting the Jag up against all different cars of that era rather than just racing against Jags, which... I think will really help Matthew and Damien with some different experience around different cars. 
Yeah, it's a great circuit, that is. Tight and twisty, and it has these sort of bends and drops on it that make it look like you're about to launch yourself into the sea, which always adds to the interest. <laughs> it looks like you're driving off the coast, doesn't it? it? Does. It's an unbelievable place. <laughs> it does, absolutely. Well, Tom, we're back on with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, which means, of course, we're back on with your diaries as well. And it's great to hear that this time you can cover not just your own car, but other members of the Swallows Racing team as well. So we'll look forward to hearing from you and about all of those others as we go forward through Series 3 of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Tom Robinson, good to hear from you again. Yes, it's great to be back on, Wayne. I'm really looking forward to, to covering what we've got lined up for this year. That's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JEC podcast via www.jecpodcast.com. And you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message, or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits, plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.